Well, this morning we're going to turn back to that portion that we were just reading from Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to read just the one verse that I'm going to take for our, our consideration this morning. And that is verse 14. where the Apostle Paul instructs the Ephesians concerning the armor that he would have them to put on in the Lord. He says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. This morning I want us to think on the meaning and the picture of what is presented to us in that verse where we are told to have your loins girt about with truth. I want us to think on that, think about what that suggests to us and what we are to do in the light of that. Before we go any further, though, let's just ask the Lord to meet with us in the Word. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will bless the Word of God. We pray that thou wilt use it for the glory of the Lord Jesus. I pray that thou wilt help me now send thy spirit to be my helper, my guide. Lord, fill my mind and my heart that those things only which are of Christ would be heard in this place today. Lord, then do within our hearts that which is the design and purpose of God for this word this day. Lord, allow us to know that we have in truth met with our God and he has given us instruction and encouragement, but also he has given us a taste of himself, a taste of his love as we consider what is in your word now. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In Acts chapter 20 we read of a moment in which (coughs) excuse me, the Apostle Paul And these people to whom he writes the words of our text uh, for the last time uh, is seen. It says there that the brethren of Ephesus accompanied Paul down to the ship that would carry him away. And there at that time, perhaps on the shoreline there, they knelt and prayed together. It further says that there were many tears shed at this parting because Paul had let them know that they would never see him again in this world. If you can say one thing about Paul and the people of Ephesus, it would be that there was a deep and sincere love that they had for each other. Paul was to these people a spiritual father. He was a teacher. He had spent years among them. And they held each other close in their hearts. With that point in mind, we can imagine the heart and love that would flow from Paul as he comes to the point in his letter to the Ephesians where he says, Finally, my brethren. There was much love and fervent desire 
in the apostle's heart that those to whom he wrote would be both safe from the destruction of the devil, which he mentions shortly thereafter, safe from that destruction that wants to bring them into complete faithlessness and uselessness for the kingdom of God. But he also is praying here that they would be further successful in the work and ministries that they sought to undertake for the sake of the Lord Jesus. So he offers this parting prayer and a further fatherly instruction to these people when he says there, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In other words, be strong in the things that belong to God and are assisted by his might. Be strong there, for there is a great warfare raging. Well, we might again ask, ask that question. Why was this such an important word that the apostle would make it his last to these people that he loves so much? Again, I stress this. His words were, verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He is making it there very clear that there is a terrible warfare that exists with the devil and his darkness. Also, he is making it very plain that the warfare cannot be fought in the power and wisdom of our flesh and of our persons. We are no match for the devil by ourselves. No man wins against the devil, the world, and the flesh by himself. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how disciplined you may be. You will lose that fight. So Paul says in verse 11 that we are to put on the armor that God has supplied for that fight. It is perfectly suited for the matter. For none of the armor that Paul refers to is physical, meaning of this world. It is all related to the successful work of the Lord Jesus. Now I have seen, and maybe you have as well, illustrations of the armor and someone dressed in what looks like real old-fashioned war gear. I can think of one particular, a life-size illustration that was made when you had all the different pieces that were there and were labeled and so forth. Well, I suppose that is a good way to remember the pieces, but it, is, it hardly explains what the real armor is and how it works. So this morning I want us to think on the first of these that we have listed by Paul as the components of the armor of the believer. And I want you to understand that what is being submitted here for our consideration is really this. To fight against the wiles and attacks of the devil and the old flesh, there must be a preparation in the spiritual things of God. Let me say this again. There must be 
a preparation in the spiritual things of God. We must be equipped with graces that are provided by the Lord Jesus. If you are going to fight the devil, you must be prepared of God with those graces and those parts of his uh, supply in order for you to know any success in that battle. So this morning, I'm going to take then a look at the first of these, where it says there in verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. I have two things I'm going to suggest to you. I want us to think first of the picture and then of the preparation itself. What is Paul talking about by these illustrative words? Well, again, I submit to you very common, a common picture. Paul offers a description of a soldier armed and equipped to go to war. Again, we would ask the question, why? Why offer that as a picture? Well, because first it was a very common picture and easy to understand the uses of each piece that he refers to. However, I want to stress to you this morning that you keep in mind that we are not talking about physical armor. That picture of the soldier, if that is as far as we think, will not convey what Paul is eager for these people so dear to understand. Let our minds go beyond just the suggestion or just the picture of these components of the armor of the soldier of Christ. Now, we're going to take this morning just the first instruction that we see here, as I mentioned, and think about what that really means. And I will try, by God's help, to be as simple as possible. We are told in verse 14 to have the loins girt about with truth. Well, that, to me, raises Two questions that will serve as our consideration. Those questions are these. What are the loins referred to here? And second, what is the truth with which we must gird ourselves? So let's think on this for a moment. What is being suggested here in this picture with these particular words? First, I want you to consider with me the word loins. Now, very simply, physically, the loins are the lower part of the trunk of the body. Well, we might ask the question, why would that be mentioned? Well, some, in consideration of this portion, take the girding of the loins to mean tie up your robe. And garments, so you can run and move about easily. In the day in which Paul was writing, of course, many of those to whom he wrote would have been clothed in long robes that would have gone down perhaps even to the feet. So the thought was, you can't run with a robe like that, or if you have something that's similar to that, you can't run with that. So gird that up 
so that your legs are free to run and you're free to move and so forth. Others take this to mean put on your large belt to hold up your garment and serve as something to fasten your sword to. Again, that's possible given um, what we have heard others being girded about with belts and so forth. Um, The simple answer, though, I think is this, that we are being told, take the step necessary to make it so you will not be hindered when you have to walk, run, or fight. Let me say that again. Take the step necessary to make it so you will not be hindered when you have to walk, run, or fight. Well, so far we've talked about what it means to gird. I haven't got to my point, which is uh, what is referred to by the word loins. Well, there's two things, perhaps, that might be suggested. And this is an old English word, an old English reference. Please bear with me. Some have found this um, to be um, uh, somewhat comical. I'm not sure I know why um, or uh, strangely inappropriate. But we take first the thought of the word bowels. The bowels are located in the loins. If you take the scriptural meaning or what is suggested by that term, you will find that the scripture refers to that portion of our anatomy as the center of the emotions. And there's the point. It is the center of our emotions. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, and so forth. It is the place where there is the emotion to be seen. In Jeremiah chapter nine, uh, 4 and verse 19, you have Jeremiah's great exclamation as he sees uh, the destruction of Israel uh, and Jerusalem particularly to take place. He says there, my bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace, because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the sound of war. So he's saying, my emotions, my heart that is within me. That is referred to as the bowel. So the point would be, what we are to protect and gird up with truth is our emotions. What we feel and what attacks the emotions is often a power of great danger. It needs to be seen to in the preparation of you going on with God, working for God, and resisting that which the devil would bring you. Your emotions have to be held in check. But the loins also are referred to elsewhere as the place of reason and consideration. In other words, our minds. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. I'm sure you know this verse well. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace 
that is to be brought unto you by, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins. Be sober. I want you to think with me just on those two little... That there is a connection of the mind and the emotions. Peter says immediately after the call to gird up the mind that are to be sober. Now, to be sober means to be of a serious mind. In other words, let your mind know self-control. There is a call to hold the emotions in check. As you consider in your mind the things that you're looking at, hold your emotions in check. Be sober. So I suggest to you that although the scripture refers to the loins as being the center of emotions, in another place it's the center where your mind is, there's not a separation between the two. Therefore, we can say that loins, or that which is to be kept under the control, or girded up with truth, is our heart. Is our heart, our inward man. It is our emotions, but it is also how we think. And let me say this. Your emotions oftentimes govern how you think. And how you think oftentimes governs your emotions. So we're not talking about two separate things that we are linking together. We're talking about one and the same thing. That which is in you, which causes you to think a certain way and feel a certain way, must be governed. Let this, Paul is saying to the Ephesians, be controlled by truth. Well, that brings us then to our second question. What is truth that he is referring to here? Well, I'm going to give you a short definition of truth. I'm sure somebody will do a better job than I could, but I want you to see this. Truth, in the most common sense, is that which is absolutely and unchangeably Correct, verifiable, and pure. The absence of any one of those three things I just said brings into question whether something is true. That it is absolutely and unchangeably correct, verifiable, and pure. Or we might say truth is the way something really is. Well, in the, for the sake of brevity, let's ask the question, if truth could stand before us as a person, who would that person be? Well, that's not hard to see. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Lord Jesus is the truth. And therefore, what Paul would be saying is that we are to gird up our hearts with, or to fortify our hearts, or to gird up our hearts with that which is true 
about Christ and what we hear from him. I'm going to stress something to you. Here Paul is calling the Ephesians away or girding themselves up with what they think about themselves or what they think about their experience or what they think about their understanding, their way of seeing things. Do not trust in your heart. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Away from yourself. We are to fortify ourselves with what is true about Christ and what we hear from him. You know, this is exactly the message that the Lord Jesus is rendering to his disciples in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is the chapter that deals with I am the vine, ye are the branches, and so forth. But if you go to verse 4, here we have the substance of what's being said. The Lord Jesus says to the disciples, abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Now, he uses the term bear fruit. I would suggest to you that bearing fruit is not just your soul winning. But rather that you're showing all the evidences of being able to go on with God. You're talking about what Paul is talking about here. That you are able to war the war. That you're able to withstand the attacks of the devil. You're bearing the fruit of Christ. But, then it, but he says, No man can, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done. So what we have here, though in the terms of a picture of a soldier who would prepare himself for war, you and I are being told that we are to gird up our hearts, that which has to do with all of ourselves, with what is true about Christ and true about his work. Think on him and not yourself. John Newton said it this way, What think ye of Christ is the test to try both your state and your scheme. You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. Fill your mind with what you know of Christ, what is true of Christ, what he has done, successfully done, and what he says to you. Now, I'm going to tell you, this isn't the first of the list. I mean, Paul does say, above all, you're to take the shield of faith. But why is this one first in the list? There's always a reason. The Holy Spirit does not make um, arbitrary choices when it comes to the inspiration of his word. Why is this first in the list of things that we are to do in preparation for this great warfare? Well, I think the reason is this, that the devil wants you. To look at yourself and lean on your emotions. He wants you to look at yourself rather than the one that God has lifted up as the cure for all your heart issues. I think here you have an instruction by Paul flee from your feelings. 
flee from your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Put your mind on Him. Gird up your loins with truth. The truth. I say this is a battleground that is extremely common. And many are the children of God that find much defeat in their hearts and lives because of a failure to consider Christ. They consider themselves. They consider what others say. They consider notions and feelings. They look at themselves. And by the way, let me tell you, you'll never look at yourself and come away with the right answer. For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The witness of your heart for yourself will never help you. It's only as you look away to the person of the Lord Jesus. Gird up the loins with truth. Now, that brings me to my second point. The preparation. We are to prepare ourselves for this warfare by doing something. So, I suggest to you that to gird the loins with truth is an action. It requires conscious and purposed doing by the saint. Well, what is that? What is it that we are to do? How is it that we are to prepare ourselves in this way? Well, Paul wrote to another church that was very close, not only in proximity, but apparently in association with the Ephesians. Perhaps there was much interaction between the two churches. And the church I'm referring to is the church at Colossae. In fact, if you read Colossians, you'll find that there are many themes, in fact, even statements there, that are common to what Paul writes to the Ephesians. Very, very similar uh, letters that were written, perhaps similar congregations with similar experience of time among them. But Paul outlines... In chapter 3 of Colossians, what he would instruct them to do, sort of as a, finally my brethren, although the words are not there, but these instructions, I think, summarize what Paul is saying that the Ephesians are to do by girding the loins with truth. So if we look at chapter 3, you would see that there are three steps in what it means to gird with truth. Now, before I give those steps, let me comment that William Hendrickson mentions, and he's a commentator uh, on the book of Ephesians. His comment was that the whole of the purpose of this particular instruction was was to impress the Ephesians of the need to be pure of heart. He is telling them, You're girding up the loins with truth that you also, as truth is pure, unchangeable, and verifiable, that what is in your hearts also may be pure. Be holy even as I am holy. 
How do we do that? Well, again, there are three steps. And again, let me just stress, these steps are suggestions that to gird the loins or the heart with truth is to gird or put on purity and single-hearted devotion. We are to give ourselves to Christ. There can be no guile, no deceit. There can be no falsehood, nor can there be impurity. If you are to gird with truth, none of those things can be seen. So you say, well, tell me the three steps. Okay. Chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. I almost hear the words, finally, my brethren. If ye be then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Verse 2 is a summation of what I've been trying to say. You set your heart, you set your emotions, you set your love on that which is above, or may I put it this way, who is above. You set your mind on him, not on things of the earth. So there is the first step. You conscious. Peter puts it this way. He says, but yes, thing. Find on Christ. Paul says it a different way. Consider him which bore such contradiction. If you don't, lest you grow faint in your mind. The devil in attacks gets the best of you. Come faint, lose. Why? Because you're not considering Christ. Set your heart on things above. There's point number one of what it means to gird with truth. Point number two would be found in verse five. Mortify, therefore, your members which are on earth. Now, he goes through a list of things there that we are to do away with. But very simply, truth must be pure. Therefore, your heart also must be pure. And if that's going to be the case, you have to have to actively be in the process of mortifying those things that are against purity of heart and mind. Now, you say, well, I don't know what they are. Very simple answer to that one. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Is it not said? And if any of you be otherwise minded, he will show it to you. Yes. You want to know what it is that you need to mortify? Ask the Lord. He'll show you. And then you're going to probably have to ask him a second time, Oh Lord, then you're going to have to give me the grace to do it because I'm not able to mortify the flesh by myself. Well, the Lord Jesus tells us that in John 15, did he not? For without me, you can't do nothing. That's absolutely true. You're not going to be able to mortify the flesh and all the things that we read here by yourself. But that is a work of the Lord Jesus. He that hath begun a good work in you shall perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Philippians. He'll help. So to gird requires the putting off of that which is false. The third thing you see that Paul lists here is in verse 12. He says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Bowels of mercies, there it is again, kindness, humbleness of mind, 
meekness, long-suffering, so forth. You're to put on the things that the Lord shows you are markings of belonging to Christ. He lists some there. In fact, the whole of the chapter after this point specifies the ways in which the putting off of the flesh and putting off of false heartedness and the putting on the truth is seen. He goes through and becomes more specific. But generally those are the three things. You set your heart on things above. You set your heart on Christ. You put off or mortify the things that you find within your heart and put on the things that you find are not in your heart but need to be to make you like the Lord Jesus. So we are to fill the mind and emotions with Christ. Put off that which is against Christ as if it were poison. Put on or gird what the Lord says we are to put on to be able to stand against the one who wants us to destroy wants to destroy us. Well, why why is this all so important? Well, here's the plain and simple truth of it. If you look back at verses 12 and 13 of Ephesians 6, uh, uh, says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You're fighting an enemy that you can't fight by yourself. This is not talking about I'm fighting the United States government who is corrupt in the following ways. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about an enemy who has ever been the destroyer and the inhibitor of the church from Eden onward. We're talking about the serpent and all of his minions. We're talking about that which speaks of the devil who would like to destroy, who goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We're in a fight that's way too much for us. You're fighting the devil. So you need to do this. The first thing that Paul lists then is get your heart in the right place. Get your emotions, get your mind, your understanding, your thinking in the right place and let it be on the truth which is Christ. And I emphasize to you because just said I don't know how I'm ever going to be able to gird my heart with truth it is possible it is something that is possible for every believer not just some but all how Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. An instruction. It's good to understand what's being said rather than you just have an image of a soldier walking around with armor and you just read over it and let it pass through your mind as just water going through a sieve. No, you need to understand why he's using this, what he means by this. 
And so may the Lord help us to be those truly that if we are not certainly begin to, by the Lord's help and grace, are able to gird our loins with truth. Well, may the Lord bless his word for his name's sake. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will bless your word. Pray that you will use it within our hearts that we might truly be those who are enabled by your help to have truth as that which guides us and keeps us, girds us up, allows us to walk with God, allows us to walk through this world, allows us to walk even in those days of battle and to do what we are needing to do. Lord, bless then. Now this time, continue to speak to us. We would pray through this thy day. And we ask you all these things in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen.